0: everyone and welcome to another edition of the V Auto Podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson, I'll be your host for today's podcast. Today I'm delighted to have Brian Whelan, the Used Car Director from the Van Horn Auto Group in Plymouth, Wisconsin joining us today. Brian, how are you today?
1: Excellent, excellent. How are you doing?
0: I am very well, thank you, very well. Thank you for taking time out of uh, your day to, to join us for the conversation. Um, And I guess maybe as a a place to start the conversation, Brian, uh, could you tell us a little bit about the dealership group? I think our listeners kind of like to put our our people on the map a little bit in terms of number of stores, sales, that kind of thing.
1: Yes, we started in uh, 1966. Joe Van Horn started a single point Chevrolet store in in Plymouth, Wisconsin, a small town of about 8,000 people. And uh, you know, over the years, we've grown into a nice organization. We've got 18 locations in uh, Wisconsin and Iowa. Uh, we employ right around 600 people. And uh, over the last five, 10 years, we've really gained some momentum. Uh, we've acquired acquired some nice stores. Uh, we're doing a decent volume out of our markets, and uh, and we have a really, really solid team um, that we really invest in. And, and so, yeah, things are things are good, and and we we continue to gain some momentum.
0: And your role there, Brian, for our listeners, you oversee the used vehicle operations across the group, correct?
1: Yeah, correct. So, So my role as the used car director is basically everything used. So I source the vehicles, right? I find the used cars wherever they are in the market, and then I oversee seven buyers. I call them procurement specialists, and they work directly for me, and they are split up by platform. So I have a GM buyer, a Ford buyer, a Stellantis buyer, a Hyundai buyer, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And those guys have an intimate you know, relationship with the product and the stores. And then so they go out and find, find the vehicles wherever they are and uh, acquire them. And then I also oversee the pricing strategies, uh, the wholesale strategies, transportation, inventory, merchandising, marketing, all that good stuff. So it's it's a big job. Um, we certainly uh, have a large used car inventory, so it's a lot of work, but I love it. And uh, so I've kind of got my pulse, my hand on on a lot of different things. So True. really, everything used cars.
0: Yep, yep. Lot long hours. I got I got I, I imagine too. <laughs> yep. phone's always ringing. <laughs> yep. So, uh, in in terms, well, how much how much volume do you guys do on a month across the group in, in used cars?
1: Well, for for used cars, I I ran some of the numbers just before this, just so I had kind of a a good base of it. So in 2019, which was, I would say, the last kind of normalized year, um, total total, um, sales, uh, vehicle sales was 21,918. That included wholesale. When you take the wholesale out, we did 17,360 retail deals. Of that, 5,135 were new and 12,225 for used. So, you know, our ratio of used to new is, is like three to one. So yeah. we've yeah. always been more um, focused on the used car than anything. And that's just because, you know, in smaller markets, the the manufacturers don't necessarily give us a lot of inventory, right? Yeah. So if we call the factory up and say, we need 10 heavy duty trucks, they're going to say, we'll get in line. And by the way, You're like last in line. Right. So (laughs) if we want the inventory, we got to go get it on the use side. Yeah. And then in 2020, um, slightly lower volume, 19,359, about 2,898 were wholesale. Obviously, we kept more units in 2020 because they were harder to get. Uh, and then retail was 16,459. Uh, the thing is, is year over year, we increased our used by over 2000 retail units. So wow. we were at 14,652 used in 2020. And again, that was just, uh, you know, more of a, a factor of there just not being a lot of new car inventory. And uh, we were able to acquire a lot of used inventory um, during the pandemic, where a lot of people were kind of, Sitting tight, maybe even running away from the auctions, i was I was pounding it. i was I was buying everything that I could if it was a good value. So mm-hmm. yeah, so year over year
0: we were up and used. interesting, nice. Now, and I guess on the point of if it was a good value when you were out buying stuff, um, did you have to redefine what that meant, given the way the market was at the time?
1: Yeah, yeah. so you know i I really, really tried to study the market and and, and you know, you kind of have to go gut feeling a little bit sometimes over the analytics, but mostly for me, it's the analytics, it's the data. And so I'm always looking at, you know, the reports that are out and, and everything that I can read uh, with when all the business news and things like that to kind of figure out where I'm at. And, you know, sometimes you just take a step back and you go, is this thing really worth this? And if it is, you just got to buy it. And and Mm -hmm. so during the pandemic, I thought stuff really got cheap and it did. Um, And then when the economy cranked back up and and people started going back out into the world, you know, then then we had the inventory to to say, hey, we've got it and it's a good, still a good deal. You know, come get it. And then next thing you know, we're running out of inventory just like that.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, speaking of inventory acquisition, I think that's really remained kind of a headline story in, in used cars, you know, across the country. Um, you talked a little bit about auctions. I, I'm kind of curious to what degree have you guys maybe put a greater emphasis on getting inventory from customers, you know, whether they want to sell you a car um, only or whether you know they're coming in to trade something.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think already two or three years ago, I had this uh, in the back of my mind that I wanted to shift away from the auctions a little bit, And the reasoning was is, you know, you're paying a higher fee. The fees, you know, are kind of cranking up here and there and and you have to wait for the transportation companies. And so by the time you got that car, it's going to be several days old and you still haven't you still haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so already a couple of years ago, I was thinking about this. And so we started implementing different strategies. And basically, it's just kind of widening the net, right, the the sourcing net. So I want to be able to acquire inventory from every possible source out there, whether that's auction. You know, that's OVE, Mannheim Express, body shops, direct from the manufacturer, direct from customers, you know, up in Canada. It doesn't matter where it is. I just want that net to be wide. So we started doing these buying events where we would market to the public that we were just going to buy vehicles. And you you don't even come into a dealership. We just wanted to keep it out of the dealership. Don't come in. No hassles. You know, nobody's going to try to sell you anything. And we had some success doing that. And so now our process is if we need inventory and, and we always do, we're, we're doing different marketing campaigns and we're talking directly to our customers. We have a, a KBB Buying Center. Um, okay. I have local uh, buyers that will strictly buy from the public in this area. So they're very good at it, whether it's Craigslist or it's you know Facebook Marketplace uh, or it's the ICO customers. So we've gotten pretty good at buying locally and it's helping to keep our lots full.
0: Now, so those buyers you just referenced, Brian, that's part of that team of seven that you talked about. So are are they exclusively looking at, say, the alternative places, not auctions? Is that kind of how they're set up to work? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So on top of that seven, I have two more guys that that's all that they do. And so um, again, you know, I want them to know their craft and, and, and really be good at it. So, you know, I give them, uh, you know, I, I compensate them to do a really good job in that, you know, that area. Mm-hmm. And, and last month, uh, in fact, one of my buyers did 51 deals, which is a lot. Um, you know that's a lot for a local guy that's just doing curb buys and street buys, and so so I'm really proud of that, and we seem to be doing very well with it. I it, I know it doesn't sound like a big number, but fifty one you know purchases from from customers on the
0: street that's that's a pretty good job. Is that just for the one individual, or was that kind of across the group? No, nope, just,
1: just him, just the okay. one guy.
0: Okay, so uh, tell me a little bit about you mentioned the the buying center um, and Kelly Blue Book instant cash offer. How do those fit into the way you're engaging customers for these to buy their cars? Um, and, and I'm also curious to what degree that might have, you know, caused a slight change or shift in how you appraise cars.
1: Yeah, so there's, you know, essentially there's kind of three different tools under one roof in Kelly Blue Book. And so starting with the buying center, you're mm-hmm. just basically targeting the people that say, I just have a car right I want to sell that car I, I maybe don't want to buy anything but I just want a value I want to know what it's worth and I want to know if it's if it's worth my time to come and sell it so then I put those people with a buyer okay and, and so so that way it's really easy you get them the number no screwing around we'll cut the check come on in it's super easy and and we've had success with that then you have the KBB ICO which, which is essentially what we rolled out across all of our stores for the trade in process
0: okay reasoning
1: is is because we want to have a consistent process at all of our stores where a consumer can come in whether they have an 05 malibu or a 2020 malibu they're going to get the same consistent appraisal process Mm -hmm. and kbb ico has that right you're going to put them through that same process and then it's going to spit out a number to them and it's not anybody else's number it's kelly blue book's number Mm -hmm. knows kelly blue book and then from there you continue to work your deal But if you have all these different people coming up with all these different numbers and everybody's got a different trade process, it's not consistent and consumers find that to be frustrating, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same process at every store, every salesperson, every manager goes through that ICO process. And then the trade-in advisor has helped us to um, make the process easier online, so if a consumer goes you know to our website and and they don't want to go through that 5 10 minute KBB ICO process they might use that trade in advisor to get a range and then that way they can go okay I think my car's worth 10 to 12 grand I you know that's fine uh, let's let's move forward to the next piece of the puzzle of the process so those are those three different pieces that sure. kind of work together and um, I, I think it's been working really good. We, you know, we continue to tweak how we're doing it um, and we continue to look at our look-to-book numbers and, and you know, our, our, our trade appraisals to trades taken in and, you know, are we maximizing that process? And uh, the results have been very good over the last two years. We continue to see great results with it.
0: Let me ask you this, Brian. Um, if we looked at that then and now, that two-year window you just referenced, what was the look to book when you started this effort and where is it today it's a great
1: question um and i I follow it very closely and and so a couple years ago and, and i don't know the exact month but i said you know what we're missing we're missing inventory whether it be from new cars or used cars you know these people are coming in and the reason this happened was is when i started doing these local buying events Customers were coming in and I'd put, you know, the appraisal and it would pop up that they were at our store a month, six months ago, a year ago. I go, hey, this person was at our store. Right. Ah, So -hmm. then I would look at the appraisal and I would go, well, how come we were giving this customer two grand less than what it was really worth? So I go, hold on a second. So then I would buy the car from the customer for two grand more Mm -hmm, when we mm -hmm. had an opportunity to sell that person a car. But but the trade got in the way. So then, you know, my wheels are spinning and I'm like this sure. is this is not right. Like I'm buying their car when they should have traded it in, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I said I'm going to do this look to book thing and I came up with the metrics and the goals that I wanted to get. We were at about 33% then, 33 to
0: 35%. Okay. Yeah. And
1: I said that's not that's not acceptable. I think we can be at 50. Um and now the new number is 60 and last month we were at 59.6%. Wow. So we're almost you call it almost a doubling of inventory. And so we're acquiring now through that trade process somewhere around six to seven hundred a month, which really keeps the lots full and also takes pressure off of the buying team. Yeah. So yep. that's that's a huge thing.
0: So to, to- from a macro view then, what was the percentage two years ago of auction cars of your inventory versus stuff you, you, you know, trade-ins and things you acquired? And what does that percentage look like today? I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, believe- so,
1: I mean, if you just kind of follow those numbers, our, our, the percentage of what we were buying at the auction was, you know, 60, 70 percent, right? Okay. Yeah. You know, then you have street buys and you have some other ways that we acquire inventory, lease returns and, and things like that. But, you know, call it like 60 percent. And now that's flipped a little bit and so now we're not there's not so much pressure to go out and take the risks at the auction when Mm -hmm. you know to be honest with you there's not really much you get when you buy a car at the auction right you're not getting a customer you're not getting a lot of support and and if you get the car back you just spent all that money to get it here chances are you're not going to send it back if you don't have to right Mm-hmm. But in the trade process, you gain a customer, you possibly get some service later, you know, later in its life, you know, you can hopefully you get a trade in that, you know, in that process again. And, and so it's, it's kind of like um, there's just so much more value to selling a car to a customer and getting a trade than having to go out to the auction and buy all those cars. And that might sound pretty self-explanatory. But when you look at the numbers, you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't really make sense.
0: You know, we're mm-hmm. going to
1: the auction and buying all these cars when we could just be getting them from our customers.
0: Yeah, well, that's a that's a very uh, strong testimony to a turnaround there in terms of the the way that that has changed for you. So tell me this. Um, what's the cost? I'm curious if you've seen any. I mean, the market's been a little bit wacky. You know, wholesale values are up, uh, have been up. But if you looked at your uh, your appraisal process, you know, the standardization using kind of ICO is the foundation for that. What's the cost to market on average for, for those cars? Um, and has that changed much, let's say over the last 16, 17 months?
1: Yeah. So, so I, you know, I, I gauge that right on my look to books and, and because I want to know, well, what am I putting into my cars or what am I showing the customers and am I getting yep. enough? And yep. so When we started, we were at like 84, 85%, right? That's what we're acquiring for. And if you look at a trade, a trade is a lower cost piece of inventory, and it usually has a better market day supply and a quicker turn. Why? Because I can get it on day one. I could sell it the next day if I wanted to. And typically trades are, they're not late model. They're two, Mm -hmm. three, four, five years old. Um, So in order to get more, I was telling my stores, hey, I'm, I'm at the auction paying 90%, 95%, hundred percent to get inventory. And we're showing our customers 85. Let's, let's flip that around a little bit. Let's give our customers more and let's pay all the money for the trade. So then I can go to the auction and I can just, I can just steal stuff if I need it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the flip in the mentality. So we're somewhere around that 89, 90, 91, 93%, depending upon what it is. And if it's, you know, something super desirable or or it's hot in the market, you know, we might go all the way up to 100, 105. Um, that's kind of where the the gut kind of comes in on some of that stuff.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. And
1: we all know what the car is, right? The one that comes through where you're like, you know, I just, I got to get this thing. I, I just got to throw the book out the window.
0: Now, I have two, two points related to the pros, the appraisal process. Um, the way I kind of understand it, you know, it's a little more customer friendly, more transparent, um, so, to what degree is the are you moving away from the initial number that's shared with the the customer? In, in the, like like let's say it's fifteen grand, you know, like that's the number that that you present to them or that, that ICO shows. How often are you diverting from that in as a result of the customer or the need to make a deal? How are you managing that?
1: It's a good question. And I don't know what the actual percentages or the numbers would be, but oftentimes we do have to go off of that number. Yep. Um, you know, so we, we present the, the customer with the ICO and, and we simply say, you know, are you ready to purchase the vehicle? And, and I, I would say most of the time the trade is that friction point where the customer is going to want more money. And it's just a natural reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm buying something, it's the same way. Can I get a better deal or, you know, whatever it may be. And so I would say, it, it's a lot, but um, the nice thing about the ICO is you can be the hero then. So yes. then you can go back to the desk and you can say, all right, so what's this thing really worth? You can go back out there, give the customer a little bit more money, and now you look like the hero. And,
0: mm-hmm. and not
1: not saying that you know you're 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 saying that Kelly Bubba doesn't know or anything like that. You just get to go out there and say, congratulations, I can get you the, get you a little bit more money. And of yep. course, right now with inventory, you can do that on almost every car. Yeah, right, because yep. we need it. Yep. so um and i love that i love being able to start a little bit lower and then go out and say you know what i can give you the money your car is worth it congratulations that's a good feeling to be able to do that
0: mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's pay- i mean even with a slightly higher uh cost to mar- like like you're you're giving you're investing in that customer in a way you know that's that's the extra five points on the cost to market scale maybe um, but tell me about the overall profitability of the, I mean, it's been up for everybody pretty much, but uh, how has that flip to customer, the 70-30 split we talked about before, how has that affected profitability?
1: I mean, it's huge. It's it's huge for a number of reasons. First of all, you're you're moving more metal now because you're getting more trades, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the great thing about acquiring a trade is you get a car deal right? So when you get that trade or you make that deal to get the trade, you're getting a car deal with it. Now you're getting a really nice, desirable piece of inventory. So now your turns go up, your return on investment go up, everything goes up, right? And and you're not having to deal with these auction cars and you're not having to deal with waiting for these cars. And then a lot of times they don't come in the way that they were represented in the CR or, or whatever it may be, or you have a seller that's just trying to slip something through and then the check engine, right? So Profitability has skyrocketed. Um, and we've able we've been able to lower our average cost investment, which is good. and and I always do and you know analysis on different pieces of inventory, whether it be off lease or trades or auction highs mm-hmm. or whatever. And the trades just crush it. The return on investment is so high on trades, it's just silly. Um, now, yes, the average cost is a little bit lower, so your margin isn't quite there, but you turn right. them so quick and, you, and you're and you keeping those local customers, you know, by doing that. So um, quantifiable, I, it's hard to really put a number on all of those different things, sure. but uh, yeah, the trades are where it's at. They're the best piece of inventory and profitability has been very, very good.
0: I, I'm curious. I, I want to go back to a, a point you you talked about a second ago. Um, the standardized appraisal process. I, I presume, Brian, that that was your job was to make sure the standards are set and met. Is that a fair characterization?
1: Yeah, um, I wouldn't say it's. I wouldn't say it's. It's me. Um, I have a a, a a hand in it, but it's it's okay. it's our entire organization. It's it's okay. the the president, the vice president, the platform directors. We all have a goal and a vision on how we want things. And together as a team, then we, we go out and we make sure to communicate what we're looking for. And then we get the buy-in from the stores and then we roll it out. And then, and then that's just how it works. Um, I believe I had the idea of just doing it that way, but I can't take credit for, you know, for implementing it because, you know, at 18 locations, rolling this out, you can't do it one person, right? You got to do it from the top yeah. down, make sure everybody's bought in, uh, and it's it's working great.
0: Um, I want to go back a, a process question. I probably should have asked earlier, but it, you you talked about how um, you're getting with through you're getting leads, you know, from customers through some of the the Kelly Blue Book tools we talked about. Um, what's the back end look like there, Brian? I mean, I one of the things I've heard uh, some dealers they've they they've sort of woken up to the fact that there's this interest. That nobody's touched, you know. You have like leads hanging that nobody follows up on. So, what's your process to make sure when somebody kind of raises a hand that you're engaging? Yeah, so we have we have a BDC center. Um, okay. that is it that's, one, one for the whole group or?
1: Yeah, so it's 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 not a dealership. It's a separate facility um, that's actually in Sheboygan, and uh, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a great place. It's a large building. We have our centralized BDC for sales there we have our centralized BDC for service there and then we have our Van horn direct team there as okay. well as as some other uh, customer service type um, positions and that way everything is run from there we have a director that oversees it um, and and that way a customer doesn't doesn't get left somebody always gets, you know their question either gets answered, you know the phone gets answered, the email, the text, whatever it is gets answered in in a timely fashion, and that's like five minutes or less. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know a couple of them slip through the cracks for whatever whatever the case is, but but for the most part, um, you know we have and and uh, these ladies and these gentlemen are awesome. They're they're, they're very much uh, customer focused. Um, they understand why they're there. Um, they want to get the um, information to the to the consumer as quick as possible, and then they turn it over to the correct store or the correct employee or or you know service advisor or salesperson whatever as quick as possible, you know, it, it, and as seamless as possible. Mm-hmm. We do run a centralized BDC for for all the customer needs.
0: So, how, just to help me understand, Brian, if uh, with that team that's in there, do they take all comers, meaning they take any call, or are some some di- is there a way to direct it so there's some specialization across that group?
1: Um, yeah, the way that you know it's sourced so that you know the phone numbers that the customer is calling goes to the right team, and and so okay. we we have that split up by platform as well. We actually color code them, okay. um, so the phone numbers go to the, this team and, and it's all, you know, it's all an intricate process, but it works. Um, yep. and, and that's a process too, that, you know, we've had to tweak and, and redefine, you know, when you tell the stores that you're going to take the leads out, out of, out of yeah. their location, can you imagine that? Um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, that's never an easy thing either, but it, it works great. Uh, we we love it. it. There was some some growing pains in the beginning, but uh, you know we'd never go back uh, to having the leads coming back into the stores.
0: Would the naysayers on that initiative, and perhaps the folks who maybe weren't naysayers but pushed back on the standardized appraisal process we we spoke of, are they all on board now, or are they gone? No, no. Yeah. Well, that's
1: a good point. Most of them are gone. Okay. Um, okay. But you. You know, at the end of the day, you just have to think about the customer and you got, you got to put ego aside and you got to take the control aside and you got to go, what's the best for our customer? Mm-hmm. Is it good for the customer to sit for two hours without getting, you know, an answer or or do you just want the customer, you know, to have some kind of interaction? For me, I'm a consumer. If I sit on the phone for 30 minutes on hold, listening to that silly music, I'm pretty agitated. I would imagine. Yeah. Right. But if yeah. I get somebody on the phone that just says, hang hey, tight, we're busy, you know, we'll call you back or hang. You know, I'm like, cool. That's cool.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so when you just when you just simply step back and go, what's best for the customer? You know what the answer is. Right. Yep. The answer is, yep. let's just take care of them.
0: Yep. Yep. And that, that's a good segue, Brian. I when I was kind of checking out the Van Horn website, um, I was. I was struck by the the motto that that you guys have: uh, empower people and amaze customers. Um, and I guess I'm just curious on a day to day basis: what does that motto mean for you?
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you for looking at our site. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, that's so. That's our mission statement, and and it's pretty simple, right? Uh, empower people and amaze customers. And uh, starting with the first part of it. Our employees are our number one asset. Absolutely. And this this organization, this business doesn't happen without good people. And we have a ton of good people. And instead of micromanaging those people and, and, you know, watching their every move, we're trying to empower them to make their own decisions Mm. around the customer. Mm-hmm. And what we try to do is give the customer a world-class experience. And I know that that's a big fancy word, world-class experience. But at the end of the day, the customer just wants to be taken care of. Yep. Well, how do you do that? You you let your people handle it. You know, if somebody comes in and bought a car and their wiper blades are streaking and they or they just ripped and it's you know three weeks after they bought the car, just just do it. Don't don't ask. You know, don't worry about it. Put some new wipers on. Get the customer down the road, and the customer's gonna go. Well, that was amazing right? Yeah. That was amazing. You know, yeah. I didn't have to fight with anybody. I, you know, I didn't have to sit there. They just, they handled it. I'm on my way. I'm happy as can be. So you empower your people. And then the results are just, you amaze your customers and it's, it's cool how it happens. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's our mission. And and, and so we're striving to, uh, to have that exact thing, let our people handle it, uh, take care of our customers and, and then business will be good. Profits will be just fine. And, and everybody's happy.
0: Now, we're, we're in a moment here, uh, Brian, in the first part of July, uh, 2021, where, you know, from what I understand, the dealers dealerships because of the pandemic had to lay folks off um, or furlough people, um, and and I and I I believe we're at a point where maybe people are needed now, you know, in, in dealerships. So. I, I'm just curious if that mission statement, how, how do you guys use that as part of hiring and does it have a tangible effect, you know, or or does it uh, make a difference as you're trying to attract people to your dealership?
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. You definitely want people, especially if they're looking at coming aboard this organization, to know that um, they're going to have some power, right, and they're going to be able to help the customer when needed and and that, you um, it's not just about you know how much money are you making for me today? It's more about taking care of the customer, doing the next right thing, uh, and and just being a good, transparent, honest process. and that mm-hmm. that in itself should be right, should be enough. Now, I'll say this. the employees here when they do that make plenty of money. So the compensation isn't that, I mean, yes, right? Compensation's a big thing, but, um, if you do those things, you'll be you'll be compensated very well. and so and and a lot of our uh, structure is based on customer service and and CSI and things like that. And so you know when you start compensating on that, not that you want people to do the right thing even though they don't want to. it just it just happens that way. Um, we are an ESOP. um, we're an employee uh, ownership uh, dealer group, so that also helps.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so uh, the employees do own. Uh, a portion of the organization, and and that's a very cool thing. Um, the the owners decided that um, you know they wanted to give back to the people that uh, you know helped grow the business, and so we are an employee uh, owner auto group, the only one in Wisconsin. I think there's a few across the, the United States, but we're the only one in Scot- Wisconsin. So that's pretty cool.
0: That is um, cool. Yeah. So
1: everybody's got a little bit of skin in the game,
0: mm-hmm. and that
1: also mm-hmm. helps um, empower people, right? Yeah. So when they're an employee owner and they're part of this whole thing as well it gives them um you know just as much you know experience to do the next right thing because they know it's 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 their organization too
0: every everybody's picking up the trash if if there is any (laughs) that's right very cool um thank you again brian for for taking the time i have one other question i wanted to ask you um and this is really kind of uh, if if we can, maybe peek inside your crystal ball here for a minute. Um, but as you think about where the business, where your business is headed over the next couple of months, what are maybe the top two or three two or three priorities that you have in mind uh, that that you'll under undertake in the months ahead?
1: Yeah. so for us, we're we're kind of like that middle of the summer um, uh, point. And so, uh, we're going to be implementing kind of a clean type strategy on the inventory. So let's, you know, let's shuffle some of the aged out of there. Let's 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 free up some money so that we can go back and acquire uh, some different units. So so number one is um, just maintaining a really healthy inventory, and 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 we're there. Um, it was starting to flip a little bit about a month ago, so I started putting yeah. some things in place to kind of clean up, and so. Um, that's number one. Number two is really studying the market. So I, I believe the books are probably going to uh, take a correction soon. So so really watching the market. Wholesale is definitely, um, you know, MMR and and wholesale values are starting to reduce a little bit. The sellers aren't quite ready to sell what they have yet. They're they're trying to hold out. But once they do start selling, I think there's going to be a small correction. You know, back to um, I would just say normal levels. I don't really know what that means anymore, but, but they're going to, they're going to come down a little bit, then the books will follow. So number two is continuing to just study the market. Um, and so that we can pivot uh, with whatever that looks like. And then number three is, is watching the, the new car, the manufacturers and, and being dialed into, you know, Ford and GM and Hyundai and Kia and, you know, Stellantis and who's got the chips and and when are we going to start seeing some inventory because that is going to be the key to this whole thing. Yes, and sir. so even though I'm a used car guy, I, I'm I'm watching the new just as much as I'm watching the used because you know, the new car or vehicle is going to become a value again soon. Yep. Because right now you're paying more for a used car than a new car. Well, that doesn't make any sense, right? right. It makes right. zero sense. Right. So I'm watching closely and is that two months? Is it four months? You know, is it going to be February, March of 2022? Um, you know that that's when this chapter is going to be finished and, and written once the new car comes back. And honestly, I have no clue when that's going to be, but but I'm watching it closely.
0: I, I'm I'm curious. This might be putting you on the spot, Brian, but let let's say that you found out that the chips are going to happen, and in two months you're going to have new car inventory. Let's just pretend that that's the case. Um, so, what are you gonna? What's the first one or two things you might do on the used car side to make to adjust for what you know to be coming? Start moving metal as fast okay. as I can, and just
1: and 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 I do that anyways every day, right? But I mean, like I'm I'm moving metal now um, okay. because. Uh, like I said, the value is going to be there when the new when the new inventory arrives, and so customers are then going to pivot back to the new car because they're going to go, well, I'm just going to buy a new car. So, um, you know, that would be number one is just moving metal, and then number two, or maybe this would even be number one, is communicating that across the organization, mm-hmm. right? And so everybody's up to date on what's happening, and then so when you change the strategy or when you say this is what we're doing, everybody's not like. Why are we doing that? You know, explaining to them, this is what's happening. We're going to shift and then everybody understands and then we can all march towards the same beat. And so we don't have every, all these stores going in different directions. Mm-hmm. And so so those would be the two things that I would do. Brian, okay. Excuse me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. Well, Brian, thank you very much for taking uh, part in this podcast, sharing your insights and perspective. I appreciate you taking the time for us here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed it.
0: Me too. Me too. And folks, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Until next time, stay well.